Are your golden handcuffs a benefit or a source of stress? And for those of you who do not know what they are, the definition of golden handcuffs, according to the Corporate Finance Institute, is financial documents and benefits given to certain employees to encourage them to remain with the organization for a longer period of time. Hi, welcome to Rekindle XM, where we talk about stress, burnout, and effective ways to recover from the ashes of burnout and rekindle our fire. I'm your host, Brian, and with me today are M Michelle and Masha. Before we jump into the topic, we have some more information on our book. Uh, we've been working through the author questionnaire, and for those who have never had to do an author questionnaire, it is quite the um, journey. But this is where, this is the tool that the publishers use to help promote our book as we get closer to publishing. And the unlucky person who's got to do most of this is Michelle, so I'll let her um, give a little more on how it's, uh, how fun it was, Michelle. <laughs> well, I do enjoy research, so in some ways it has been fun, but uh, yeah, I would say that for those of um, who have never gone through this process of trying to write and publish a book, there is so much more to it than any of the three of us thought. But um, we've had some fun with this. We've actually done field trips to our local bookstores, uh, looking for book covers that we like and getting some ideas. Uh, we've also had to go to several websites to figure out the right numbers of, you know, what do I call this book? Where does it fit in the category? So it has been a lot of research. We also get to answer some fun questions like, what were the challenges you encountered when you were writing this book? And then on the, on the flip side, what is your favorite part of the book? So it's actually been a learning process as all of this is, but super excited. We'll be getting this done very shortly and then we're, we'll be on to the next steps. All right, back to golden handcuffs. So when we think about golden handcuffs, do we generally think they are good or bad? So first we'll talk about how golden handcuffs benefit both the employee and the employer. So my first example today is Michelle. She actually worked for the medical company that she worked at for 20 plus years. She had excellent benefits and everything else. Um, Michelle, how did you feel about the golden handcuffs and how did they benefit you? Well, I didn't hear that term golden handcuffs until I'd actually been there for probably at least 10 to 15 years. So uh, when I first heard it, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting term. Uh, it was my manager and she was actually talking about it in more of a negative light with her manager because she's like, yeah, she's just tied to the company because of the, the golden handcuffs. And, you know, as I started thinking about it, I'm like, well, I guess I have those golden handcuffs also, but um, they're working pretty well for me right now. So I worked in over six different departments and radically different departments. I kind of moved up through the organization from you know the, that entry level job all the way through senior management. Um, I did have great benefits. Like Brian, you would always tease me because I had, oh goodness, like five and a half weeks of vacation every year. I mean, I couldn't even use it. Um, so I had great vacation. Um, we did actually have a retirement plan, both um, 
the you know, the uh, tax deferred type where you know they just they would put money into it and they would match a certain amount of your salary every month and then you know I could contribute but um, they actually had a pension plan as well which is almost unheard of these days so the retirement was great we got almost free health benefits for both you and I um, you know for a long time it was really beneficial. You know, to me as the employee, I worked with great people. It was a good company for a very long time. It worked well. And, you know, from the company's perspective, it's so expensive to hire someone new. Um, so they put out statistics on this, and there is actually one from the Strategic HR Management Group. And they say that every time you replace an employee, it's a cost that equals about six to nine months of that employee's pay. So it's also a benefit to for companies to keep employees for, you know, as long as it's beneficial to both parties um, because it is so hard and there's so much disruption when you have constant turnover. So I can see that there are definitely some, some great aspects to that. Um, you know, some companies even give a hiring bonus. If you stay for a year, you know, you're going to get this lump sum of money. Um, so there's some definite positives. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was chained in at all. Um, the one thing I, I would say, at least in my personal experience, is I had a great mentor. And um, that was actually Dan Miller, who's the author of 48 Days to Work You Love. And one of the things he said is make sure you stay in the driver's seat in your career. So if you're going to go into a situation and you have those golden handcuffs, um, just make sure that you're paying attention and staying in the driver's seat. But if you are doing that, it can be a real benefit. Yeah. And from the employer side, I think the amount of effort they have to do to train somebody new into how they do things, even if the person has years of experience in that, they still have to learn how the company wants to do it. And that takes time. That takes at least a week to a month or more. And for like new employees, who have just out of school, they have to learn. I mean, the school only teaches the rough basics of things. So anytime you go into a working situation as a just out of school person, you have such a learning curve that the company has to put so much money into you that they definitely want to mm -hmm. encourage those golden handcuffs. Masha, what are your thoughts? Well, the first time I heard golden handcuffs, I was like, huh? It's been, uh, I've been in the business world and my former husband brought that up, the golden handcuffs, and he was talking about it. I can't say I understood what it really meant. When when you hear the word golden handcuffs, like it's gold, yet it's handcuffs. And it's like, for those of us who love shiny things, it doesn't matter what they are, they're shiny, right? And you kind of apply this to the job well, it pays, it provides, it has great benefits. I can see how it can be beneficial for me to stay here longer, even if it's uncomfortable. But also on the side of from employees, I don't want to change jobs like disposable gloves and learn something new and just be wind in the freeway, just do new things until, you know, I land somewhere. I've always been loyal to the organization that I've been with and I kind of plant myself there and I become part of the culture because you find the purpose there uh, but it's not your purpose it's their purpose and you help them grow so I think it's a recipe 
right? It's good when it serves both parties. It becomes a burden when it starts to be difficult to do your daily tasks. Yeah, that leads us to our next definition. I'm dissatisfied with my job. In fact, I'm burned out. But the money is so good, and I finally got the reasonable amount of paid time off with great health care coverage. Don't even get me started on how great the 401k match is with only being one year from full employer contribution. I couldn't possibly switch my careers without losing everything I have already worked for and start over at the bottom to slowly wake, work my way up again. So Masha, you, you kind of led into this a little bit. How does this connect with you? Is this how you felt? This is how I felt in my engineering career, but go ahead. You're right, it is really a mindset. And when we go back to our cultural conditioning uh, episodes, we talk about how culture contributes to what we become and how we're expected to perform in the corporate environment. You pick a place, you stay there until retirement, then you retire and have a good life, right? That's the uh, obsolete definition of a career uh, per se. Yep. So yes, within, within the golden handcuffs, tend to get like in my experience i've gotten too comfortable and i overstayed my welcome it no longer served me and my employer yet i stayed there a little longer because my mindset wasn't what it what was going to be when you are in burnout it's a mindset issue on one side of it right and when you're in burnout you don't have confidence you don't have the self-worth you don't have what it takes to make the push, make the leap until it gets too uncomfortable. It's like the story of a boiling frog. So I'll let you comment on that because I can go on a little bit more. Yeah, I, I understand what you're going through there. And in my story, I started out as a computer-aided drafter before I went back and finished my civil engineering degree. And I wasn't actually looking at civil engineering at the time that I first started going back to school, I was actually looking at getting out of engineering completely. But I started looking at what I wanted to do and how I'd have to start all over. And it would take me the same amount of hours and credits and money to do that versus going back and just finishing the engineering degree that I already started. I couldn't convince myself that that was the better way to go. So I went back into the engineering degree and that's when the golden handcuffs really started to change color on me. They weren't really golden anymore. They were starting to become rusted and kind of dangerous to keep on. Um, yeah. Well, my, you know, I think so you how, both... prevalent, how prevalent do you think this is in the view? How prevalent do you think this view is in the workforce today? And okay, I'm going to go back go ahead first. And so, yeah. Okay. Um, I think you both brought out a good point, which is there are definitely pros and cons. And I think where a lot of times we go wrong, and maybe even companies do this as well, is we, we stay too long where we're not evaluating the pros and cons. I really feel like there should be, you know, as part of every year as we kind of look at the year coming um, ahead of us, regardless of when you do it, you should reevaluate your 
working life? You know, is it still working for you? Are you still in the right job? Um, you know, do those golden handcuffs, are they still serving you? You know, there's, there's pros and cons. So at some point, you have to be able to evaluate where the, you know, the cons overcome the pros or vice versa, if you're going to stay there. Um, so I think you guys bring up a good point, which is most of us skip that because we get so entrenched, we just don't want to look at making a change. Um, all right. So, but going back to your question, Brian, about the statistics, the definition of golden handcuffs is changing. Um, every year, the labor of, of um, or the Bureau of Labor puts out statistics. And if you look at the median time that people are staying in positions since 2012, so that's 12 years of data, the median time, which is the most common amount of time, so it's not an average, but it's the most common amount of time that um, people are staying in their jobs, it is going down every single year for both men and women in every industry across the board. So the definition is changing. And of course, the, the older people, so if you're 60 to 65, you know, that, that age range, it's more likely that you've stayed longer. If you're in your 20s, it's more likely that you haven't stayed as long. But that shift over time says that this concept of golden handcuffs is probably changing and that um, as a workforce, as you know, for the, the United States, as, an, as a workforce, we are not staying as long and perhaps not as tied to the golden handcuffs. So we'll see if that... Um, trend continues. And if you think employers... I'm going to interject here. Yeah, Do you think it's more that the golden handcuffs aren't working or that people are starting to realize that quicker that the career that they started doesn't fit them. I mean, when we think about boomers and late Xers and even you and I, Michelle, um, mm -hmm we had the mindset that you pick one career and you stick with it to the end. I don't I think, think we did the... have that mindset. I actually think that's yes. changing in our generation because, you know, I think the, the boomers are still the most likely obviously to stay for 10 years. In fact, that is their median is that they're at a place for 10 years, huh. but um, it's going down dramatically as you, you know, each 10 years you go down the, um, the amount of time is changing. So I think that, Xers are changing. We're changing our minds because we're seeing what the younger folks are doing. We're like, oh, well, maybe I don't have to stay. And maybe it's not even financially a good thing for me to stay. So it's obviously shifting, but we don't know why. There is one thing that actually came to my mind when you were talking about this, and perhaps it is an issue of a different level of golden handcuffs. They shifted to somewhere else. For example, in millennials, the expectation is you go and you get education, 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 education. After high school, you go to college, you get bachelor's. After that, you go and you get your master's. <clears throat> After that, you go and you get PhD, and then you're ready for the workforce. And during this time, you have no career experience and you're unemployed <laughs> in a meaningful job. You do these temp things. I've seen that with a few of our millennials that are around in my family and around our family, and there is no motivation to land a job and keep it. There is a motivation to keep studying, and they want remote jobs. They want jobs that are not 40 hours, that pay 40 hours, but they are 20 hours, and that's the expectation, and when I'm in those conversations, I'm like, 
whoa, where did you get that idea? Because that's not what well, that, that's I've been somewhat true. To. But the Xers, I mean, when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, it was acceptable to be at a job for two years before you leave. If you were at a job for two years and you left and you tried to get another job to get paid a little better or whatever, it was not looked down upon. If you were less than two years and especially less than a year, then they start wondering, well, why are you leaving the job so much? And I, I think that's been a declining amount of time as we move to younger generations. So yes, millennials were there, but we were kind of already headed in that direction. What are some other thoughts? And you thoughts? can see the house. I, I agree. When we when you think about the households of, of our millennials, they see generation Xers and boomers, you know, parents and grandparents. They're enslaved to their careers. They're uh they may be absent parents. They may show up when they can and it's not enough to meet the needs of the family and of their kids. And they want different lives for themselves. So they attach themselves to something else, a different kind of life. So yeah, interesting, interesting trend. I expect it to continue. I yeah, I mean, it probably will continue. I do find it interesting that um, when you think about you know the the younger the Gen Z who's entering and the especially younger millennials, you're also trying to figure out where your zone of genius is, and you often don't know it. I mean, some people do, and if you do, if you're in your 20s, early 30s, and you know you know your zone of genius, like these are the people that just skyrocket, you know, um, professionally. But most of us don't. So it also makes sense that you're going to have shorter career spans at an employer because you're still trying to figure it out. But then as you get older, so one, you know what you're good at. So you're looking for jobs that fit. But then two, you're starting to look at retirement and you're wanting a certain level of retirement. And I think that's where that trade-off with the golden handcuffs becomes a very real tension point because I've known people who they're like, no, like the at the company that I worked, there were many who were there their entire career. And when they hit about, you know, 50, they're like, oh, okay, I only have 15 more years here. I just have to stick it out. And then I get this great, you know, severance. I get great healthcare. I get all these great benefits. So it was sort of like, if you're 50 and you're still there, you're staying. So I also think That's there's the differences in times of life. The, the longest I ever stayed at a job was seven years, and that was counting <laughs> internships. Right. I can't imagine staying someplace 15 years. Although hopefully <laughs> uh, Rekindle gets that way. But anyway. And there's a different mindset between business ownership and uh, mm -hmm. corporate employership. In my former business, I stayed up to 12 years, and I would have stayed longer if it wasn't for the situation I was in. So now in healthcare, I've been there for, you know, quite some time. And my mindset is just that you, you pick something and you stick it out and you grow within there until you can grow no more. And then if it's the wrong job or the wrong field, then you look at something else. So yes, with, with Rekindle, it's, it's purpose and it's passion and it's reaching the hearts and, and it's enlightening, enlightening recognition and awareness to people's situations and helping them realize are they in the right place at the right time or not. So once you find your purpose and your passion, it becomes a uh, cake. Yes. I well, mean, I, I, but, to go, okay. Go ahead, but I, I have, but I have one more thought. So if you are okay, you know, you're close to being able to retire from a company. Let's say you have one or two years and you can retire. 
and you're like, okay, all I got to do is stick it out for two more years and then I can go pursue whatever passion I want. So that's a different situation than if you're, you have 10 to 15 years to go and you're like, oh, I am not waiting 10 to 15 years. And that's actually the situation where I found myself was I'm ready to pursue something different. Um, I am not willing to stick it out another 15 years. There's just, you know, so I think that comes into play as well as how much time do you have left? Yeah, but you didn't even stick it out to two years to get your full pension. So I don't think <laughs> That's you can true. count That's yourself true, but, among that. But I also ran the numbers and financially it just wasn't, there wasn't a big difference. So it was like, you know, and and that's one thing I would say is that when you're making that decision and looking at that decision, you do have to run all your numbers. What is the benefit of staying versus the benefit of leaving? What is your earning potential somewhere else? And where is your passion versus, um, you know, the time you would need to wait? So you have to weigh all of those things. It, there's not necessarily a right or wrong in every situation, unless you're burned out, in which case you need to change. And there's the risk. As we've seen in 2018, ProPublica statistics, they did a study of uh, the Urban Institute did a study that 50% of American workers that were nearing retirement age in those particular jobs were losing them. And more than 50% of those 50% lost it more than once, up to three times. So... Yes. At that point, the golden handcuffs no longer serves employer and employer may not be in a position to sustain those benefits. And that's the risk we have to take into account if we decide to marry our job with golden handcuffs until retirement. Yes. And Masha, you bring up a really good point, which is sometimes those golden handcuffs are a one-way street. Sometimes the employer is going to change and what you thought you were going to get by staying in that situation isn't um, what you actually end up with, or it, you just may not have that option. So I think you, regardless, you have to rely on your skills and you have to be thinking of a backup plan. You have to be evaluating constantly. You can't, I guess you can't just ever kind of go to sleep and just expect that, oh, I'm just going to work here until I retire. Okay. But the people that do that are happy with what they're doing and happy mm -hmm. with the benefits that they are getting, even though they have, they run the risk of occasionally having somebody come in and buy them out or whatever, or the company goes bankrupt. So yep. I want to focus more on now on the people that are miserable. Their handcuffs are not golden. Um, <laughs> they they kind of lean towards rusty or an iron cage to where you feel like you're trapped. And as Masha started talking about, when we first started talking about the golden handcuffs changing colors, is it's kind of a mindset and that that can be a difficult thing to start moving towards is changing that mindset that you don't have to stay in that job or that career. So there's an article in Forbes, in Forbes article, in Forbes, I'll get there someday from November of 2020 called Free Yourself from the Golden Handcuffs for a More Purposeful Career. And the article starts, gives five steps to work through to help you find that more purposeful career. And, and the first step is imagine a new future for yourself. So Michelle and I had reached a point in our lives 
and career that we needed to reimagine what our lives would be like. And we've kind of talked about this off and on during the different podcasts, but um, we had reached it. This Actually, the funny thing is, is it started right before COVID became official. We didn't even really know about COVID when we were doing this. So we were wanting to step away from our lives at that point. And we were trying to envision what our lives would be like if we stepped away from what we were doing. We went up to the mountains. We did a week retreat where we kind of continued to work, but we would take time off to imagine and dream about where we could go and what we wanted to do because we were the handcuffs were an iron cage and the lifestyle was an iron cage. We just really wanted out of it. And that took two years for us to imagine and find a solution. Um, Michelle, did we, did what we envision end up the same as today? No. And I think that is one of the scary parts about um, stepping away from the golden handcuffs because, you know, we, we tend to, be more comfortable, even if we don't enjoy it, even if we're in a wrong situation, we still have a really hard time when we step away because there is that element of the unknown and rarely does that next step work out exactly like you think it's going to, because we didn't know at that time exactly what we wanted to do. We didn't really know what the vision was. <clears throat> I will say that there've been some, some parts of it that have been amazing, but, um, it never ends up exactly like you think. So you have to be willing to take that first big leap and leave and that's, or make the decision to leave. And I think that's always hard. Yes. Make the decision to leave. Um, Masha, what are your thoughts? What I like about the article that it talks about not tearing them off, but slipping them mm. off slightly and easily and i think there's a lot talking of about to imagine that. a new future for yourself come on imagine a new, okay imagine a new future <laughs> leap into that mental state fine i'm already ahead of you <laughs> i i think it starts with envisioning your future you're right but then having the faith to start manifesting it in your mind of what do you want it to look like and of course it's got to be an element of realism there um you know like I would love to sell my house and get an RV and follow you guys around the country. I mean, that would be amazing. The reality of it is I'm tied down. I'm anchored in by other things, my child and my grandmother. So until that, um, you know, a future manifests into what it is, my kid goes to college and I don't know, tell my grandma behind me in the RV, that could be a possibility, but probably not. It has to be a dose of what is possible for me in near future versus the long-term future. I do want to travel and I do not want to be bound to one place. That is something that I've imagined and I lived it a little and I love it. I don't want to be in Colorado year round. I want to be here during the summers. During the winters, I want to be somewhere warm, somewhere with an ocean. And I want my job to be able to accommodate that. So if you work in the virtual world, it is a reality, right? But if you're bound to that career and you are on a 10-year track to finish off that last five, 10 years, whatever that is, all you're bound to is vacation. And reimagining things first, 
does make sense because then your heart starts growing into it and that change when it presents itself when the opportunity presents itself you'll be in the right mindset to be able to transition into it so yes lots of dreams and goals and hopes for the future and mainly what i want to do is not just live a a purposeless life i want to contribute to society and serve my community and that is where my passion and my dreams are okay it's interesting i think you either have that wanderlust or you don't um <laughs> it always surprises me that people are happy staying their whole lives in one place because i have that wanderlust and i just can't imagine it um the longest I've ever stayed in one house is what eight, eight nine years. years, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Eight years, yeah. And you um, were ready to I move mean, after like the first three. <laughs> in that first house, yes, yes. I had it took me five more years to convince her that that house wasn't for us. That was a great house to start with, but I've just always been wanting to do go do something else. I guess not so much as far as work, just travel and well, see so all right go ahead. but you know i'm just gonna so masha and brian like you both bring out a really good point though which is you know you can envision and you can have these grand ideas of the future but as masha said you also have to have a dose of realism and understanding either you know a it's going to take time which is usually too regardless um b you know it you may not you you have to um envision a future that actually makes sense for you, which kind of goes back to your purpose and what, you know, what you want. Um, so you can, you, you can imagine, but then um, it's not always, it's not always going to work out exactly like you imagine it. And yes. be careful, married couples, you have to dream together. There is yep. a other side of the coin and somebody that we know in our community married 50 years he has been in the same job, burned out, hated life, loved his wife, loved his children. Children are grown. And he had this picture of Caribbean and one of those um, boats with um, the he. Uh, I'm not a, a boat near, so I can't tell you what the boat is. But anyway, it had multiple chambers and his dream was to uh, move to the Caribbean and to be a tour guide overnight in the seas, uh, take people deep sea fishing. That was his dream. It wasn't his reality. His wife wasn't on board. And what happened one day, he saved some money and he quit his job, left his family moved to Caribbean on his own and started his dream life alone. And we're all in the community just like shocked. He never talked about it. It just happened overnight. He's still in love with his wife, but he could no longer tolerate the life that he was in. Wow. Yes, that's a really good point. Um, when and you know it's often true that you have someone you have to talk to masha you have your daughter because you can't just go like you said you can't abandon her she's she's not old enough yet um can't abandon grandma brian and i had to talk through and that's part of the reason you know it took a little while but it's actually been a great experience as you talk through with your loved ones because you start to realize oh wow i never really knew this about you um 
you know, so it makes me wonder if that husband and wife ever had any of those discussions. I, I think it's been enlightening as we've, Brian and I have learned about each other. I'm sure you've had that experience with your daughter too, as you've been talking about that. Um, yeah, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves though, because it kind of fits mm -hmm. into other parts of the steps. Um, so okay. the next step is don't break the handcuffs, slowly slip them off. It, it needs to be an intentional plan It ha and you have to have it in place. So going back to what I was saying when Michelle and I first decided that we, we had to get out of the life that we were in, we made a plan on how to do that. We had, we knew we had to sell our house and we knew we had to have a certain amount of um, leftover from that sell to be able to make those changes. And if we couldn't get that, then there was no point in selling the house and we would have had to figure out something else. That took two years to get the house ready to sell and start to figure out how we could slip those handcuffs off. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Masha, you kind of started talking about that a little bit. I want to go back really quick to step one and something that is a common practice is making a vision board of your future and what you want it to look like. When this exercise was first brought to me, I was like, I'm not doing this stupid thing. Like, what is this? Right. I really looked down on it. My mindset was like not there at all. And to me, looking at magazines and cutting out papers was like second grade activity. <laughs> I was not willing to participate. But in that time, looking back, at, I was limited and not dreaming about where I wanted my life to be. And when I did erupt out of that mindset, the first thing I did was a vision board. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, interestingly enough, uh, to have something that you're that your that that your goal and your mindset is aligning to next things is the actions, and of course, you can tear off the handcuffs. You gotta wiggle them off and slip them off, but they also gotta be loose enough, and they gotta be skin's gotta be slippery enough for them to be able to slip off. So, being able to have a goal, five-year plan, one-year plan, whatever it is, but then you break it down into actionable steps. Okay, well, what do I need? I have a mortgage. Well, are you going to keep this mortgage or are you going to downsize, sell the house and use that money towards something else, right? Like a, a strategy. So it is a negotiation with yourself or with your family. Here's the dream, what stays and what goes. And we as human beings like to collect things and we don't like to let things go, right? And this is the biggest burden of trying to simplify. I look around and I'm saying, huh, if I simply, the only way to simplify is to tear this whole thing down and like go with a suitcase and bam. But you were talking about staying in one place uh, for no longer than eight years and it was difficult for your Brian moving homes. I stayed at my condo, uh, my town home that, uh, we owned uh, where my daughter was born for 16 years. And it was also a mindset issue. I did not see myself moving. And that was childhood trauma that I had to overcome because as an 11 year old, I came home one day and my mom was packing up my suitcase and I thought we were going on vacation. But on the way to the airport, I was told we are moving to a different continent. And that trauma was like, I didn't say goodbye to anybody I loved and I didn't pack my favorite things. And I had a lot of them as an 11 year old. So with this mindset, I was a tree. When I was planted at my condo, I gave roots and you do not move a tree was my mindset. I'm gonna stay there until God knows what. So overcoming that mindset and letting go was the first thing I had to work through. 
And likewise, when you are letting go and slipping off your golden handcuffs, we got to see what is holding us back if they are no longer serving me. And it could be emotional childhood trauma that you have to work through to be able to grow into the future that you want. That is what I had to do. Yeah. And to take it back to talking about, you know, slipping them off. So Masha, it's interesting because you started slipping them off when you did make that decision to let go of the condo and move. And you even talked about that. So that was like the beginning of your mind shift, um, you know, and just and changing those thought patterns. Um, you know, Brian, like Brian and I, it did take two years and we did start changing our mindset and our mindset change was, okay, we're definitely, we've definitely made the decision that we're leaving our current lifestyle. But then we were intentional over those next two years. The, the one thing though, that we didn't plan, and this is, this is something to consider because even if you have a great plan, it won't always fall into place. So we had two things. One was COVID, which slowed us down. Um, but two was our house sold so quickly and we did not have a good plan to get rid of all of our stuff. So that was, um, that was the one thing we really didn't plan for. We thought it would take a lot longer to sell our house, but I will say that having that overall plan, even though the timeline didn't quite go as we had planned to, we, you know, we were hoping for one year, it took two, um, it did eventually get us to where we wanted to be. So yes, you absolutely have to have a plan and go slowly. Don't just walk in, um, you know, cuss your boss out and leave. That that doesn't work very well. <laughs> I did live through that too. <laughs> not personally. Okay, I did not do that. Won't <laughs> do it. And if Don't somebody in your family did that, send them back begging back for their job. <laughs> Or finding another one. Anyway, um, so the next step is to research and evaluate your options. This was one of the hardest steps for me because in my burnout, I couldn't think outside of anything else that than engineering as far as my skill sets and talents could be used for. And I still kind of struggle with that today. Um, it's It's really hard to think outside of what you know, especially when you've been doing it for 20 years or more, because you, you, you're kind of ingrained in that. And it kind of goes, correlates with Masha's not wanting to sell her house. You got to change that mindset saying, you know, I have problem solving skills. I have talents in these other things. I have good math skills. I can get out of engineering. I just need to find that right step. And I had to start thinking out of the box. And um, strangely enough, we're not even doing anything close to math or engineering. Um, writing this book was one of the biggest shocks in my life. I mean, I never wanted to do anything with writing. It was one of my worst subjects. I hated it as far as grammar and stuff goes. So this was definitely a leap out of what I knew. Um, how has this worked for you guys? I can totally relate because English is not my first language and grammar. What is that exactly? Can you like define what it is? Can somebody like do it for me? Right. So I missed a big chunk of things that, uh, you know, I speak how I write and I was supposed to have two years of English classes and my former continent, but I ditched all them because I had no value in knowing English to 
who I was, I was never going to use a language and it had no benefit for me. So learning it uh, in middle school was was enlightening. And I've written poems before, but I never thought I would be an author. I, I had the passion. I had the seed. I wanted to. And I did write. And I wrote so much, but I never had the courage to share it because it was it was personal and there were great stories, but that grammar piece is like, I was afraid to be mocked and shamed because I had no confidence or self-worth to embrace that my message had meaning and could serve many people. And I think once we plant our roots somewhere in some field that we think we're destined to be, and we decide, nope, this is actually not the path I wanna go on, and there's another talent and passion that you want to embrace. I think the first step that I had to overcome was finding my self-worth and determining I am worthy to be what I want to be and become who I'm destined to become. And who am I to limit that if it isn't God's plan? And having that faith and making this project complete was really a dream come true. And I never thought in my life that we would partner up and write this amazing book that we're so excited to share with the world. You know, it's interesting because um, all three of us were, were part of an entrepreneur network and we, we still stay in touch with a lot of different entrepreneurs. And most people do limit themselves to a very narrow lane based on what they've been doing and they don't see all of the other skills and talents and abilities that they have. So Masha and Brian, I I'm with you. I never thought I would be writing a book. Um, but there are so many skills, so many abilities that we shortchange ourselves on once we get into a very you know narrow lane and we kind of get those golden handcuffs, we actually have to change that mindset. Even after leaving for Brian and I, you know, we left, we took a year sabbatical. It still took that entire year to shift that mindset. And, um, you know, particularly for Brian, you can speak to this, um, to start looking going, oh, I have a lot of other talents and abilities and skills that are not in engineering. Um, so I think that is a struggle for everyone is to really research and evaluate that op those options because we tend to limit ourselves so much when we have a lot more available options. Yes. Okay, the next step is to develop a timeline you can stick to. Well, I think we hashed that one out pretty good already. I don't know <laughs> how much we need to be that dead. Only key to success about this timeline, if you're doing something you've never done before, the secret recipe is you have to have an engineer on your team, period. End of story. <laughs> yes. Or somebody who's good at uh, <laughs> administrative and keeping people in line, I guess. Um, so the final step is to embrace the thrill. Months. <laughs> Thanks to Brian. the thrill of change while relying on a support network. So it talks about finding like-minded individuals to walk with during this change. And that is very important. Um, when Michelle and I first started talking about leaving Colorado and finding a new place to live, I mean, our family was somewhat accepting of it, but I don't think we've ever got the full buy-off on it. So 
we had ourselves to rely on. So we, we had a, a support group for ourselves to work through it. And we knew we needed to make the change. Um, when the three of us started working through our burnout recovery journey, that was our support group and started writing the book. And that caused even more not necessarily misunderstanding between family and friends, but it's, it's hard for them to realize some of the steps you have to go through to get out of burnout. And especially then to try to make a um, career out of it. But um, you definitely need to find at least one person who you can talk to and have them walk alongside you and help raise you up when you start to feel depressed or am I doing this? Should I be doing this? Otherwise you won't be able to stick to it. What are your guys' thoughts? Of course I can comment on that. One one of the things I do agree with you on is in my personal experience, family was not a good support system for me. My daughter was, she was amazing. She knew what I was doing and she cheered me all the way. Everybody else, I threw in a fishing rod and dropped some clues. And what I've gotten was belittling and completely writing off what my intentions were and what I was going through. And I realized, okay, it's not going to be my family who's going to be my support system. It's going to be somebody outside of that. And of course, you know, we came together and we're support system. And then other people that I started, when I started sharing my message, I got so much support and so much love. And that just fueled my fire. One of my closest friends in Texas, uh, she was talking about when you're doing something new, you need power rangers. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she explained the concept of, of Power Rangers is that that is your cheerleading team. That is your go-to people. When you're feeling down, you pick up the phone and you unload and, and you get a dose of joy and cheer and you keep going. I'm like, oh, can you be my uh, my Power Ranger? And of course, she's my Power Ranger, right? Uh, and it was incredible uh, experience that that sense of community, that help, that love that comes in just because I had the courage to open up and share what I'm doing. The support was endless. The love and the energy I've gotten from them was irreplaceable and I could have not found it anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we, so back in, oh goodness, over a year and a half ago, um, I joined an entrepreneur network uh, the 48 Day Eagles and an amazing community of you know like-minded individuals, many of them coming out of the corporate world, and we were all coming from different experiences, but there was a commonality because we were all pursuing you know our purpose and our passion, and that made such a difference because when you don't get that support from um, perhaps you know former friends, uh, colleagues, um, family, whatever it is, who don't understand why you're switching, especially if it appears that you're successful having a new support group that does understand is invaluable. And there are, there are groups like that everywhere. Like even if you are out in the middle of, you know, the rural area where there's perhaps not a lot of support there, there is support somewhere online. So it is available. You just have to find it. Becoming part of the community, not just to take, but to give. And mm -hmm. it becomes so natural to have that exchange of genius and you benefit not just from receiving, but from giving and gifting. And that's an incredible feeling to see, to contribute to somebody else's success just because you've been through something and you share your story with them and they're going through the same thing. 
it is invaluable, like you said, and it's it, it inspires me every single day is that someone's going through something we have gone through and we can just give them drops, drops of hope and steps how we've gotten there. And it is possible. You can totally get where you want to be and have the life that you dreamed of having. You have to start dreaming first. And then like Brian took us through the steps, make it actionable. You're yes. not alone. So in, in kind of closing up, the concept of golden handcuffs by itself is not bad. It can be a happy union between the employee and the employer. But if that's not how you feel, start examining the different ways you can transition to a purposeful work. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the like button, ring the bell, and subscribe for future podcasts. We'll see you next week.